Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the CX Cast. Co-hosts here are Angelina Jenis and Adele Sage. Hey, Adele. Hey, Angelina. Adele, we are approaching episode 250 and the podcast's six-year anniversary. Can you believe it? I can't believe it. That is a long time. This is a great podcast. We've got a lot of episodes. I know, and we can't even take all the credit, but we will. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. So we wanted to look back on the listener favorites, our top picks as listeners, and the best episodes even for, let's say, CX beginners, whether a listener is a beginner or you have a colleague who's a beginner that you'd want to share an episode with. So why don't we dive into favorites to start? Does that sound good? Okay, I'm ready. Cool. Well, great. Adele, can you give me one of your all-time favorite CX cast episodes? I would love to. When we first talked about doing this, these two episodes came to my mind immediately because I remember, you know, I'm a, I'm a listener of podcasts typically on my commute now that we're in a global pandemic and working from home. I don't have that luxury anymore. But I remember almost where I was driving on my commute as I listened to these episodes. That's how strong my memory is. It's these two episodes, 119 and 120, for anybody who wants to go back and bookmark them. So at the time, Sam and Jenny interviewed a professor of theirs from the Bentley University Human Factors and Information Design graduate program. She's also from Twig and Fish, and her name is Mina Kothandaraman. And they asked her about customer research. And I just remember listening and and hearing Sam and Jenny just like their own minds were just blown, you know, listening to the the stuff. Like, this is the person who's been their professor before and whom they've interacted with. And they were still like, yes, I never thought about it that way. That's so brilliant. So as somebody who'd never encountered her before, I was having that kind of experience listening as well. And in the first episode, she gives some background on herself. They talk a bit about The value of involving stakeholders in the research, and in particular, it's not what we think it is, which is that they believe, oh, I came along and now I really understand the value of doing this kind of research. Like I I got to actually observe customers, which I think is the, that is an advantage, but it's sort of what we think about first and foremost. But Mina was talking about how really the value is that then they can contribute to the output, you know, like what did we learn from the research and they can actually own it. They can go and talk about the research much more comfortably and eloquently having experienced it than having this kind of external party come in and say, hey, we did this research and these are our findings, go out and do it. So just having the stakeholders be involved in that way was really interesting to hear about. And in one of the steps of the design process after, you know, actually planning and going out and doing the research, everybody comes back together and shares their findings and discusses what was most salient in the research. And she talks about in those sessions that she asked people to take off their shoes. So like they're just wearing their socks and they come in and they sit on the floor and they talk about these research findings in the con, like in this weird sort of like disarmed moment, right? They're not like sitting around the conference table. right? And so as a CX advisor, I've actually used this technique in some of the planning that we did for our own kind of curriculum that we think about our content for the year. We did this once where we as a team came in, like took off our shoes, sat around on pillows in a circle and talked about what we wanted to do with the content for the year. 
this resonated so much with me that sometimes you don't want to sit around and whiteboard or be on a, or like around a conference room table that there's so much value in just physically approaching a meeting in a different way. You could have people move their computer to a new spot in their house these days, get a new background. That's true. I'm, I'm so boring with my background, never mixing it up. Let's listen to a clip though of this part where she talks about having people take off their shoes and come together. I think you guys will all enjoy hearing it too. After each break in phrase three, we actually get a chance to debrief. And what we do is we actually have post-it notes that are color-coded and we say, okay, Sam, we just met with so-and-so. They've told us about their online collaboration methods and how they actually remotely collaborate with employees. Let's sit down wherever it is. It could be in the middle of the Boston Commons. It could be at the airport. It could be at a bar with a drink in your hand. Get out those post-it notes and write down your top 20 thoughts right now, Hmm. immediately. And we put that aside. And what that does is when it comes time for Sam to be able to retell his story in analysis, he just has to look at his 20 post-it notes and it's all going to come tumbling back. Yeah, that's great. So that is phase three gather, phase four analyze. You're going to take all the data. And this is actually where I always call out my colleague, Sarah Ludine. She's absolutely brilliant. She has some of the best approaches for deconstructing frameworks in terms of analysis frameworks and sort of taking data and making it sort of tear apart and then rebuild itself. So we basically do that and we we have a fun little exercise called shoeless analysis where we have people literally take their shoes off, white socks, come on in, join us. <laughs> I was and wondering what that name I was referring to. <laughs> I'm going to check okay, the color of my socks. I know. <laughs> Good, not white. Yeah. Not, not white. white, you're not allowed in. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. Got to be clean, at least nicely laundered. But the deal is to sort of disarm people and to let them come in, sit on the floor, not your typical round the table kind yeah. of discussion, but tell stories and then work in little groups because all the people that were in the field with us are now in this session. And it's again, very structured. So great, right? Yeah. <laughs> Don't you want to go plan a meeting now where everybody has, well. I think I want to go back to grad school and have <laughs> her as a professor. <laughs> so I have a favorite to submit. Please tell me. Yeah, it's episode 206 and it's just called the ROI of EX. So it's about employee experience. And it was cool because it had it had a lot of different representatives from Forrester Research looking at the total economic impact of EX. And of course, Sam Stern is getting really engaged in the conversation. And I just like how it is both a really engaging topic for people who are obsessed with EX, but also very easy to get into for folks who haven't really thought of EX before. So if you're in the CX group and you're thinking we should really expand our remit to EX, I know there's a land grab going on with EX right now. Yeah. This was a good conversation. They talked about the ROI. So let's look at revenue. Let's look at how employees increase brand advocacy. They talked about how to make employees not make them be more efficient and delight customers more, but give them the desire to do those things and to advocate for your brand and all of it in a very intelligent way. Let's listen to a little clip of them sort of explaining how they came up with this ROI model. The benefits of employee experience, they are hard to quantify. I think we heard over and over again that they tend to be in some of these areas of soft benefits, like employee satisfaction. One of the things that I think spurred our interest or spurred my interest in this was that we actually had our data science team look at the relationship between employee satisfaction and retention. And what we found was that with a percentage point increase in employee satisfaction, you had a correlation of a half a point increase in actual retention. 
And I think a lot of the research we found in even this specific study points to the really high costs of employee attrition Mm -hmm. and what we saw from improvements in employee experience and the ability to improve retention. With that said, I think when you build these business cases, you need to look at multiple different constituencies. And we actually, interestingly, spoke to people in CX. We spoke to people in operations, people outside of human resources. And so we tried to look at this pretty broadly and, and found even when you look at things like revenue, and brand advocacy, you start to see benefits of EX. And when we looked at the cost side of the equation, there are technology costs, there's programs that you might implement. A lot of people did research with their employees, they got outside counsel so that they're not really hearing from the echo chamber. Andrew, Sam, what else did you capture on the investment side? There were certainly training investments. There are time investments. This is going to take time from employees who be doing work tasks. Otherwise, we're a couple of the other ones. And there definitely were technology investments too. We're going to need a platform to capture this data if we need to have this information. Or we're going to improve our upgrade cycle for this system or for this technology that employees use because it's important to their productivity. Smart people. Yeah, I'm impressed. All this ROI stuff, I, I'm glad that other people are figuring it out. because Yeah, and simplifying it for us. What else do you have for us? Yeah, so apparently I like double episodes because one of the other ones that really stood out for me, both podcast episodes and frankly the research that we published around this, is about why paying employees for good experience is a bad idea. So this is with Maxie Schmidt and Sam Stern. They co-authored a report on that topic. And what for me... I think is so important about this topic is that we see companies so often going straight to, okay, we're implementing this CX metric and now it's going to be in everybody's annual bonus or frontline employees. We're going to survey after calls and, you know, everybody's bonus is going to tie back to those scores. We as, as human beings have seen the byproduct of this or experienced it so many times, right? The getting the agent who's like, oh, if you don't give me all fives, I'm going to get fired. When you get that survey, can you please take it? Or car dealerships are notorious for this, right? Where they'll actually like circle all of the tens for you (laughs) on their paper survey, that kind of thing. But this report in the podcast episodes as well are not just about, well, that's a bad idea. Don't do it. But what are the ways, what are the alternatives? So how do you goal teams in the right way and how their work relates to other teams And just make sure that you're thinking about it in a way that actually promotes delivering a good experience as opposed to getting good scores on that delivery. And those are different things. And I think a lot of companies have trouble and conflate those things. So great tips from Maxie and Sam on how to actually implement this in a helpful way. Let's take a quick listen to this too. So the way that I think about it is there's just two scenarios. First scenario, the employees are really motivated to do the things that you need to deliver good CX. If you throw money at those employees, it's either not going to do anything, so it's going to be a big waste, or those employees are going to find that cheapens their efforts because, mm. hey, I did this to do the right thing for the customer, not because of some 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 money I'm getting. Or they're getting cynical because it's already so hard to be good in customer experience. There's so many processes and policies in the way that make it really difficult to deliver good customer experience. And now suddenly you incentivize me on this without even making it easier for me. So I really want to, but I can't. And now you're putting this extra pressure on me. Mm-hmm. So first situation, right? Money either doesn't do anything or it actually decreases the kind of motivation that those employees right. have. The intrinsic motivation exactly. that they already had yeah. to perform yeah. well. Yeah. 
Other right. situation is employees aren't motivated. They aren't intrinsically motivated to deliver good customer experiences. And then you throw money at them. But what happens is if you put money, monetary incentive like that in place, it might drive some behaviors up. But when you take it away, the behaviors will go down to the previous level or even below that. Mm. Right? So the behaviors will vanish again. And the other thing we know is that for customer experience, you need so many behaviors that are really hard to motivate with monetary incentives, like being creative, being collaborative. That's all stuff that research tells us you do worse than their monetary incentives. So then the second group of employees will only do great things for customers if they want to do it. So if you explain why they should, in which case you're back in situation one. Right? So <laughs> no matter where you are with your company, money doesn't actually do what you hope it does if you use it as a monetary incentive for customer experience performance. I mean, I think that's super helpful. Maxi is just always a delight. Yeah. So thoughtful in her approach to measurement. So it's great to get that advice from her. Do you have any more that you want to share? Yeah, I found one from the archives that you were involved with. Ooh. Do you remember an interview with Trace O'Reilly from Rogers Communications? Oh, do I ever. Trace is fantastic. It was episode 113, and she was talking about how they just set up this way of running experiments for CX to then test and learn. So basically, you wonder what you can learn about CX from a utilities company. It's that they can actually section off whole neighborhoods, test a new customer experience, and then decide if it worked or it didn't. And that's what, that's what she describes in this episode. She calls it the hothouse. Oh, yeah. The Hothouse Project. Yeah. So this is when she was at Rogers Communication. When we interviewed her, she was already at Comcast. And there's another episode where she talks about her Comcast uh, experiences. But yeah, the, the Hothouse Project. The, the best part about it is that their slogan was success without IT. <laughs> Just brilliant, right? I mean, how many, how many of our listeners are like, oh, oh, we could have success without IT? That's inspirational. Yeah, I loved it. Let's listen to her explain a bit of the hothouse concept. What we did was we identified 43 separate capabilities that we felt would really move the needle in the customer experience space. And we actually sectioned off a part of um, North Toronto and infused all of those 43 capabilities mm -hmm. that we believed that would make a difference. And then really just watched and very quickly made decisions. Generally, we would test something for no longer than four weeks and then make the call to say, hey, you know, this didn't make a difference. Let's dump it and not use it. Hmm. Hey, this one's actually really moved the needle. Let's actually go far and wide and, and not just operate in North Toronto, but let's scale it across the organization. And I think, you know, realizing that it's okay to fail um, and long as you fail fast and then move on to the next one, I feel that we we're able to actually cover a lot of different ground um, as opposed to get sort of a paralysis through analyzing and how can we make it better, but just making decisions to cater it to dump something and move on to the next one. She is such a smart lady. Totally. And I get a lot from that episode just from the very beginning, whereas some podcasts, maybe other podcasts, it takes a while to warm up. This one, I feel like I have an example in my back pocket within five minutes. Yeah. What's cool is they, they came up with like a whole ton of things that they could try and then really quickly tried a couple of them and then narrowed it down to the ones that they really could do without IT, which is such a smart way to approach it. If your objective is how can we have a direct impact on the experience without having to do IT projects that can quickly narrow it down, but you can see a big impact from those things. Yeah. That's like that quadrant and prioritization of quick wins just unlocks so many more quick wins. Right. Cool. Well, 
you know, I looked at what folks are listening to most, and we also went through what episodes might be good for beginners too, right? Yeah. I mean, what's nice about this podcast versus Forrester's research is that this anybody can listen to, right? And we want to promote Forrester's research, of course, but this is a nice proxy for people who don't have access to it. Plus, reading long reports. You and I have both written plenty of these reports. They can be quite a lot to get through, even though they're written for scanning. And so I think it's helpful for people who are new to CX to have something that they can listen to that is simplified to some extent, but gives the basic concepts so that they can apply them quickly and easily. So to me, this podcast is one of the things that I recommend almost always to somebody who's new to CX, although with our, you know, almost 250 episodes, it's a little bit overwhelming. What, which ones do they actually listen to? So that's where we come in now is to make some suggestions. Yeah. And there is no report that I go back to more when I'm giving advice than the report that is related to our top pick for beginners, which is episode 127, Gauge Your CX Management Maturity. Yeah. The way that we've laid out this CX management framework just is so helpful for anybody in CX. There are these six competencies. There's the vision that has to be at the core of those six competencies. And knowing where you stand in your maturity is what then helps you figure out what you need to build and how. Right. So this episode ends up being a springboard for then saying, okay, if the competencies include measurement, design, research, prioritization, then what are the episodes I can then listen to to get a deeper dive on whichever of those I want to tackle first or I know the least about? Yep. And a good example of that was there was episode 174, The Winning Way to Plan Customer Research. I mean, planning is the first step in a lot of cases. So Yeah. And I would say for anybody new to also listen to those episodes that I referenced with Mina, because I think together those give a really good foundation for how to think about research. And as a little bonus, we are planning an episode where we're going to bring Kelly Price back. So she's the analyst uh, interviewed on the winning way to plan customer research. And we're going to talk to her about her beginner, intermediate, and advanced reports on customer research for Forrester. So stay tuned for, for some more good guidance there on how to do good research. Yeah, and we'll we'll be putting a blog post together with our favorites, some of the best beginner episodes, and we'll include some of the research episodes as well as measurement, VOC. Let's talk about measurement for a second, though, because I think there's a great episode we can point people to right now, and that's episode 14. <laughs> so way back. Whoa. And so this one, Sam interviewed Maxie Schmidt, again, on better customer experience measurement surveys and beyond re-listening to this one, I was like, right. So even though this was quite a long time ago in the beginning of the podcast, this is all still so true. You know, how do you write a good CX survey? And what are some of the ways that you can move beyond surveys? These are questions that are still coming up all the time for CX pros. So this is a great one to go back and listen to. Don't be intimidated by the fact that it's only episode 14. It's an oldie but goodie. Love that. Should we move on to listener favorites? Yeah, definitely. I mean, the listeners get to decide the best episodes. And as I mentioned, I, I looked at what the most listened to were and one that rose right to the top, ROI of Design Thinking, episode number 187. I think what this means is people need a lot of help with ROI, right? This is the second ROI report that we're highlighting in this episode because this stuff is hard. I know it is hard, but we find people who make it real, seem really easy. Thank God for them. 
And I think also design thinking is one of those things that seems so squishy on the surface that the idea that they, you can get ROI blows people's minds. Yeah, definitely. Well, I wouldn't be surprised if um, at the somewhere near the top was how to consistently deliver great CX. And that's another one that I would highly recommend for beginners too. I feel like there's a lot of cross-pollination here on these lists. And that's a just a great intro to like, what is CX and what are the most important elements? That's got a lot of that CX management stuff in there too. So definitely, if you haven't listened to that one yet, I would recommend that. That's episode 188. Yeah, and you're right. It has gotten a lot of listens. As have some very specific ones, like how to transition your VOC vendor, episode 197. I mean, I didn't originally think that transitioning voice of customer vendors would be that exciting, but the people are hungry for the practical advice. Right. I think it's not so much that it's exciting, it's that it's terrifying, (laughs) right? I mean, you've got this vendor entrenched and you've got your company and said, nope, we need to make a switch. And everyone's like, we need to make a switch. And IT's like, I don't have time for that. And yeah, exactly. So I think that that kind of advice is is very much appreciated by our listeners. Very practical. Yeah. And another one that got a lot of listens, what B2B companies must learn from D2C disruptors. Mm. I feel like this one is just giving people permission to use D2C examples in their B2B company strategy, because some B2B companies just don't want to hear it. They're like, I'm a B2B. I don't want to hear about B2C examples, let alone D2C. D2C, direct-to-consumer, is totally changing B2C. And it would be easy for a B2B company to be like, ah, not my problem. That only applies to B2C. And so they interviewed Judy Weeder for this episode, and she very clearly points out that there is a lot that B2B can learn from it too. It is not a concept that is uniquely affecting B2C. Yeah, totally. Again, having more examples in your back pocket, what could be better? That's the benefit of listening to these conversations and picking up on the nuances of why it was a best-in-class experience or best example or best practice. Yeah, totally agree. So I think, again, we can agree on all the great podcast episodes that have come before us. We are carrying the mantle of this excellent podcast, hopefully to great new heights. So nice retrospective on all of the good things that have come before us. Let's share some more in the show notes. And also, uh, as Angelina said, we will put together a blog post to highlight some of these episodes, make them a little easier to find. I know we called out a lot of episode numbers, but that may make for some scrambling as you guys are writing down episode numbers and titles. So look for that if you want to follow up on any of these episodes. And Angelina, thanks for joining me. Thanks for picking out your favorites. And we will see everybody again next week on the CX Cast. Bye for now.